Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name is Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, Hannah? Hello. Oh, you know, just settling into Friday and excited to record on the pod today. I just got back from the mountains, which was very relaxing and very productive, which I am pleased about. So wrapping up the week with you and then I'm going to bed pretty much. I'm just kidding. I'm helping a friend um, with her new house. We're going to do some painting and hanging out. So that'll be It doesn't sound like going to bed. It doesn't. I said, you got me for like five hours and then I'm piecing out, going to bed. I just put new sheets on my bed, like clean sheets. And I'm like, Ugh, I'm going to shower. I'm going to shave and I'm going to like rub my legs together like a cricket in bed. So I literally did that yesterday. New sheets, shaved legs, crawl into bed. Best feeling in the world. Best feeling with um, my book, probably. I'm reading The Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. It's her new book. Her new I think book. It's so good. She outlines like the, I'm going to butcher this, but she outlines like 82 emotions that we experience as humans and tells stories. Oh, she's just such a thought leader and her brain is brilliant. Um, trigger warning for some fat phobia in there though, which every time I'm like, come on, Brene, get it together. Every single time I read something of hers or listen to her talk, I'm like, so close, but so far. So close, but so far. I know. I am really hopeful for her getting her shit together, but we love her. She's a problematic fave. We're rooting for her getting her shit together. So, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, You just got back from the mountains. So good. So good. I'm wearing the same outfit I've been wearing all week <laughs> my beanie and then my like leggings and long sleeve shirt. So yeah, it was great. How was your week? It was good. It was good. Uh, I'm behind on pretty much all of my client projects. I was really ambitious with the amount of stuff that I could get done in December. Are you a time optimist? (laughs) What do you mean by that? Oh my God. Did we not talk about this? I feel like that's been the, oh man, it's been the conversation of many conversations this week because I'm also running behind on things. And basically what it means is you think you can fit more things into a time block than you really can. And you just set yourself up for failure. 100%. Me too. (laughs) Overly ambitious. Always. Unrealistic with time. Yes. So thankfully you're one of my clients that I'm behind on right now. So we have, there's a little bit of leeway with that. I know we were just talking about that before we hit record. Cause I was like, I'm also behind on the project that you're doing for me, which has probably delayed you. So I am the catalyst, me and my ADHD say, sorry, both of us just, you know, and then when we're together, we prioritize podcast stuff sometimes. So, and it's very fun. It's very fun to prioritize new projects. Absolutely. It is. We both thrive off of that, but overall week's been pretty good. Just prepping to go into holidays. I didn't actually schedule any time off in my calendar. I'm going to take off at least Thursday and Friday of next week, which when the podcast comes out, it'll have been Christmas Eve and Christmas day, but yeah, just going to kind of work and flow next week. We'll see how I feel. I feel like when I don't put pressure on myself, sometimes I get creative bursts. And so maybe Maybe one of those days next week will be inspiration overload and I'll be able to play catch up and crank shit out. I love that. And if you don't, that's okay too. I feel like there's a difference between the pressure of like, I have this block of time and I could use it for this, that type of pressure. I just freeze and I'm like, "Ah, what do I actually want to do? But if it's a pressure of like, Hannah, this is fucking due now. You should have done it a week ago, but it's due now. Then I'll grind. Me, I'm the same way. Me too. I, especially whenever I have check-in calls with people, 
having that deadline where I'm like, oh, I literally have to finish this because I have to give them an update on this call will light a fire under my ass and I'll get it done. But if it's like, oh, I have two hours where I could work on client projects and I'm like, or I could go for a walk and scroll through TikTok and phone an old friend and catch up with them. Yep. Yep. Same brain. (laughs) How was your week? What was tough about your week? Oh, well, this is fun. My biller has decided that she will not be doing my billing anymore, which is okay, but it's stressful to try to scramble and get that together because we have a team of eight dietitians and we take a lot of insurances and I would say 85% of our practice insurance base. So we got to kind of scramble to get that going. And it's just hard because You know, I actually do a lot of insurance consulting with dietitians to help get them set up to take insurance and do their billing. And when you grow to the capacity that we've grown to and will continue to grow, it just doesn't make sense for me to do the billing. And so that's really one of the first things that I delegated out as I was growing. And I've been working with this person since I hired my first employee. Um, And I think COVID has just had people reprioritize what and how their capacity is for the work they want to do and the time they have to do it. So it's no hard feelings. It's just now I'm in a bit of a scramble of like, oh shit, I got six weeks to figure this out. Who's going to do my billing? Because I do not want to bill over a hundred sessions a week that come through the practice. I don't blame you. That's definitely a good thing to delegate out. And I hope that someone finds you or you find someone soon. Thank you. I'm on the path to hopefully finding someone So it's going to be fine. And I just wanted to name, I know our check-in topic today is what's been hard at our practice this week, because we don't want to paint a picture that this is all like dreamy rainbows and sunshines all the time. Like there's a ton of shit that happens. And I think that's one of the coolest things of entrepreneurship and business owning is the ability to be flexible, to pivot and to be resilient because everything is figure outable. Marie Forleo, it's the name of her book. Yeah, it is. I have not, but I used to listen to her podcast a lot. I don't love short podcasts. And I feel like she did a lot of like five, 10 minute podcasts. And I get it. It's like business bites or I don't remember what she'd call it. But for me, I'm like, I want to be invested in the conversation. Let's get deep in it. Let's like go there. So I love podcasts that are like an hour because then I usually plan a task or something around it too of like, oh, I can take Bennett for a nice little walk or I can clean my apartment while I listen to this podcast and I'll have cleaned for an hour. Great. Totally, totally. Well, I'm really excited for today's podcast episode because we are diving into your business story today, which I cannot wait. I feel like I don't know much about your business story. I don't know if that's how you felt last week. I feel like we talked about a lot of, a lot of bits and pieces of mine. So I feel like you were were decently familiar with it. Maybe. I don't know anything about yours other than that you went to school to be an accountant for the first year. Yep. Yep. Well, you're going to learn a lot today because I'm going to bring it all the way back to childhood. And we call these episodes our business stories, but it's really for me when I was writing this out, it's like entrepreneur story, business story, personality traits that led me to be an entrepreneur and how the signs were coming up at a young age. You can't talk about your business story without those things. So I will pass it all over to you and can't wait to hear it. Awesome. I'm going to try to keep this as tight as I can because a lot of shit has happened in my life. Um, Just focusing on the business and entrepreneur stuff today, going to keep it, keep it tight. So I actually, before I knew I was doing this um, business story pod, I talked to my family because I was like, oh, I know there's got to be some stories of what maybe prompted my family to know I was an entrepreneur or like things I did in childhood that were just like, oh, this child is weird and does this crazy stuff. So um, I I wrote down some things and I'd like to defend myself a bit about them. So the first thing that my parents said, and this has been a theme from my childhood, probably like age four or five, is anytime we go to the store or out to something like um, a family outing, go to amusement park or whatever, I was always forgetting to bring my money. Like we had allowances, we did chores around the house. And that was probably a great thing that my parents did for us as kids of like, oh, you want money, you earn it. And so my family, when I asked them this question, they were teasing me and they're like, well, you always used to conveniently in quotes, forget your own money 
and we would have to buy your stuff. And they were kind of insinuating like, oh, I was trying to save my money and use other people's resources so that I could just like stockpile it because it's my money and everything. And, you know, it's funny because I remember those times and I think there was a little childlike play of it of like, oh, if I can get my parents to spend the money, then I don't have to spend mine. But I also literally, so this will be a whole nother podcast episode, but I was diagnosed with ADHD this year, (laughs) which makes a lot of sense. And I think in childhood, I'm like, did I forget to bring my money because I had ADHD? Probably. So I also, another memory with my family is I remember it was, it was between me and my uncle actually. And he was always like trying to get me to eat weird things, like a spoonful of hot sauce or like something that fell on the floor. And he'd be like, I'll give you 10 bucks. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like I can buy things with 10 bucks. And so I was always doing challenges and stuff like that. So I was kind of like, the family clown entertaining people and, and doing stuff. And when I could make a book doing it, I was like, awesome. I was also always coming up with ideas. (laughs) I don't think my parents actually know this. They described it as you were always scheming. And I'm like, what was I scheming? But when I sat and thought about it, I remember making PowerPoints to pitch things to my family. And this one's actually kind of sad. Um, so a little background and I'll get into this more when I talk about how this influenced me. So I'm originally from England. I've been here for my whole life. I moved here when I was two and it's me, my mom, my dad, and my sister, and we all moved here together. Um, And so British history. We'll get into how that impacted me. But I remember making a presentation because, you know, there's the trope of like British people in their teeth. And so we never had braces as kids. I actually ended up getting adult braces, but never had braces as kids. And so I I got a lot of teasing about it when I was in school. And so I remember making a presentation about why I should get braces. <laughs> and I I just like, you know, it was an adolescent pitch. Like I was going to pitch it to my parents and really talk about why this was so important. And I don't think I ended up ever sharing that with them. And I think if I would have, they would have lost their shit and been like, Nope, still not doing it. Why are you asking for this? Like just very strict. So that was kind of my childhood adolescence science, that entrepreneurship and business of like pitching ideas, being resourceful, making a buck where I could. And I really started working when I was 13, 14 years old, somewhere in there. So to bring it back to the importance of my family being British. So I want to recognize my privilege as a white person and American seeming. And I I say this with not hesitancy, but like, I understand my experience of immigration is nothing like someone who is brown or black or from a different country that is not Eurocentric. So I just want to name that. But the reason my parents moved us over to the States was more opportunity, American dream, things like that. So that was very imprinted on me in childhood. And so with being British, sports in high school and middle school aren't really a big thing over there. People will play footy like in their yard with their friends and that's their sport. And so I always wanted to do sports. Anyone who knows me knows I'm like a super high energy person. And if I don't exert energy, I will literally explode or not sleep. And so I always wonder how that would have impacted me to be able to do sports. But instead of doing sports, I got a job. And with my parents really instilling in me, like, work your ass off. We brought you over here. Get it going. So I started working when I was 13. The first couple of jobs I probably had were just you know, side jobs of babysitting. I lived in small town, Missouri. So I would be cutting the grass for all my neighbors. I'd go knock on their door and be like, Hey, can I cut your grass for like 60 bucks? I'll bring my own gas, which I used my dad's gas, which he likes to remind me as well, being resourceful, not using my money. And I would just kind of like zone out and music. And I'd use a ride on lawnmower because everybody had big yards. And that's kind of the things I would do to make extra money not even extra money, just money as a teen, you know? So (laughs) a funny story that I had with my parents and yard work and trying to get paid is anyone from the Midwest knows that on like the big pine trees, they have what's called a bagworm. Do you know what that is? Okay. So bagworm is like an insect, a pest. And it's this gross little worm that like infests the tree, wraps a cocoon around itself and latches to the tree. So you're supposed to pull them off. 
And so that it doesn't kill the tree. And so I told my parents, I was like, okay, will you give me a dime for every bagworm I pull off this tree? And they were like, sure. And sure as shit, you will not believe how many fucking bagworms I could find in our yard. Like I was like, cool, I'm gonna go get it. This is easy. I'll pull them all off. Yeah. There probably wasn't a tree with a bagworm on it because I'm like, wow, 10 cents. This can add up quickly. Let me get all these bagworms off. And so again, goes back to always trying to make a buck, um, even doing something disgusting, like pulling these nasty ass worms off a tree. And so I started my first real job around ninth grade. Um, I worked at a small steakhouse in Bumfuck, Missouri, and I was a cashier. So I would bring up people. It was kind of one of those places where the server gave the check to the customer and they came up to the register to pay. And so I would ring them up. Well, 14 year old me, you know, makes mistakes, doesn't have a fully developed frontal lobe. I remember this one time where I was ringing up this couple and it was paper tickets. So there was a middle, so front, back and middle. I didn't open the ticket. I didn't realize there was a middle and they basically got a hundred dollars worth of free steak. And so when I told the owners, they actually took it out of my paycheck as a lesson. Yeah. A 14 year old who is making like $5 an hour plus some tips, which was barely anything. They, they recouped that money from me. That was kind of messed up, but it's fine. At that time, I also started doing busing, which was great because, you know, you clear the tables, you get tips, et cetera. And also at that steakhouse was the first time I smoked a cigarette, but that's a conversation for another day. The next job I had after that, I probably worked there about a year. Um, my sister actually worked at McDonald's and she was a manager when we were in high school, which is just bizarre to think about at this time of like, who let a 16, 17 year old run a McDonald's franchise. I guess you could say a little bit of entrepreneurship and great runs in my family. So I got a job at McDonald's. It was awesome because all the popular girls worked there and we became friends and we got like $6 worth of free food. So, you know, every time I was working, I'd get like a cheeseburger, a McChicken. Is that what it's called? Yeah. McChicken and then fries and like a McFlurry. That's like 75% candy, 25% ice cream. And it was so clutch. I worked there for a while and then I was like, oh, I don't really, really want to do this. And I, I met one of my neighbors who worked at Office Max and he said that there was an opening at one of the stores that was kind of a couple towns over. And I was like, cool, I'll go in for the interview. This feels like a different kind of job. I don't really want to work in service food anymore. This sounds great. Retail, first retail job. That was a really good experience. I worked there at least three years in high school solidly. And then for the first semester or two of college, when I'd come home on breaks, I'd go pick up some shifts there. And the reason why it was such a great experience was honestly, this was my first time seeing a woman in leadership that was crushing it. So shout out to Natalie. She, we're still friends actually. And it's so funny because she met me, you know, when I was like 15, 16, somewhere in there working for her. And she was just a total boss. Like I think she was a store manager. She ran the whole store. She kept people in line. She was firm and direct. And she really taught me about entrepreneurship. And the way that that worked at Office Max was we sold protection plans on things like computers and printers. And so for me, I was like, oh, an opportunity to increase my money? Like, awesome. And oh, an opportunity for me to give a sales pitch and like be able to put a little bit of my personality in it? Awesome. And so for a while, I was really selling things with protection plans like no other. I do research on the computers. I remember like walking 40 year old men through our laptop section and telling them the differences in the drives and gigabytes and things. I don't remember all the terminology at this time, but damn straight I did back then and ended up selling a good amount of protection plans. And I think, you know, the reason why my boss and I had such a good relationship and still connect to this day is she saw in me that same grit and work ethic that she had as well. And so we had a really awesome working relationship after high school, you know, still dabbling in office max when I'd come home in the summers and the winter breaks, I went to school. I decided to go to Mizzou, which is university of Missouri. I was living in Missouri and I didn't really know anything else about the school, except for it was a party school. And when I was trying to think about what I wanted to do, I was always really good at math and reading. And I was like, oh, 
I want to be an accountant. They make a lot of money. Like I get to play with numbers. So fun. And so I applied to Mizzou's business school and I got in. I didn't apply anywhere else. Never been to Mizzou. Just was like, yep, that's where I'm going to go. I always am that person that just has gut feelings. And I'm like, cool, I'm just going to act on this, which has helped me and probably hurt me at times. And so first year of college, I was like, woo, I'm in the business school. C's get degrees. Let me have fun. (laughs) And I ended up getting like all C's and then an A minus in art, which is hilarious to me. I had a terrible relationship with food in my body at that point in time too. And through that was actually what prompted me to become a dietitian and very disordered thing of like, Oh, I'm super rigid with food and my body and I can help people do this too. And this is great. This is healthy. I think a lot of people who are dietitians in our space relate to that story. I got my shit together. I was like, Oh, this program is super competitive. They only have 15 spots. You have to have like pretty much straight A's and a few classes you had to have a B minus or above. And I think they were more lenient because they were hard. I see Morgan shaking her head. She knows the ones OCHEM and uh, biochem we had to have certain grades for. And so in that time of switching to dietetics, I was also working many jobs. I've always been someone who's worked, like I told you guys, since I was 13, making a buck. And so Throughout my time at college, I'm just going to list off the jobs that I had. Um, I don't think it's super important, the timeline of when they were happening, but I worked at Bass Pro, which is hilarious because it's so random. I went to a job fair in like the gymnasium at Mizzou and they were the first ones to hire me. So I was like, sweet. And I worked in the camo department. So very interesting experience. Um, I then went on to work at Outback Steakhouse as a server, which if you've never been a server in your life or a job where you kind of have to perform in food to make money, whether it's like ice cream shop, busing, you know, things like that, highly recommend because it just teaches you so much about working with people, being in a dynamic work environment where you have to manage a lot of things at once, which I really love. And actually the reason I stopped working at Outback in college, I think I was only there for like nine months, was the Outback location shut down. And I walked up to do my shift one day and they literally put a piece of paper on the store door that said closed forever. And we were, we were all like, what? And that's literally how quickly restaurants shut it down because the profit margin is so low. They can't afford to keep it open one more day if they know they're closing down. So just a fun fact, if you're ever a server and you walk up to the door and you're like, shit, I don't have a job. And after that, I decided to get a job. I was dabbling as a group fitness instructor. So Honestly, that was a really disordered part of my story. Um, The mentality there was, I will exercise and I will get paid to do it so I can exercise a bunch. This is great. And then had a lot of bodybuilding thoughts and things like that. I thought I was going to be a bodybuilder when I was like in my very early 20s. I know we're both cringing. And so I took a group fitness instructor course. I rehearsed, I auditioned, and I got hired, which was so awesome to me because going back to me, wanting to be an active person when I was young, I was like, Oh, this is a way where I get to make up for not being in sports. And I get to get paid to do this thing. And throughout being a group fitness instructor, I had all kinds of experiences. And I really do think despite the disorder, it was good. I made a lot of great connections. Our boss Panku was awesome. And I just, it was a great leadership opportunity, honestly, because you're leading a group of people and they're watching you to know what to do. You're very influential, um, things like that. There was a lot of ego tied to it too, which I don't love, but overall group fitness instructor was a leadership position. And then I actually started teaching the course for other people to become group fitness instructors, which was a fun, awesome experience after that. And you know, this sounds like I have a timeline, but I was honestly always working like three jobs at once. It's the kind of person I am. I like to be busy. I got a job as a teaching assistant for a nutrition class, which was honestly such a good experience. I was an undergrad. So the fact that I had a TA job was amazing. Um, our professor that ran the class was awesome. I actually took the class And I don't remember how I ended up getting the job. I think maybe I reached out to him after and was like, I love your class. This is fantastic. And that was one of the pivotal moments, I think, that solidified going into nutrition too. And I reached out to him and I think he was like, do you want to be a TA? Or one of the TAs that was already there asked me if I wanted the job. And I was like, fuck yeah. So anytime someone tells me about an opportunity that feels like it's going to be 
finite of like, you need to apply for this now or it's done. I will drop everything and apply for it and like put my name in the hat. That's always been how, how I am. And that's exactly what I did for that position. And I ended up getting it. And that was such a cool leader job of like holding office hours for students. And, you know, there were times where the professor was sick and I would step in and give the lecture. And that was really cool. And it goes back to just speaking and the adrenaline rush you get and the sweating. But then after you're like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. And it's such a rush. It's so fun. So that was a really good experience. And then as I was continuing, I spoiler alert, I did get into the, one of the 15 spots in the dietetics program and started getting into that coursework, which was very intensive. And I actually, there was an opening. I just remembered something that I forgot. So before I became a diet tech, I actually was like a dietary assistant. So we sat in this room, a circle of computers and we would, patients would call us and we type in their orders on the computer and then, you know, kind of food service stuff. And the diet tech was leaving at some point when I was in the dietetics program and being a dietary assistant. So I reached out to my boss and I was like, please let me be the diet tech. I really want this job. I want the experience. And she was like, sure. They interviewed me. I got the job. And with that, it was honestly a really good experience too, because as I was going through clinicals, it's like, I would do my clinicals at the same hospital at one point, And then I would like clock into my shift and basically do more clinicals. I was at a teaching hospital. So it was university hospital associated with Mizzou. So I really got to start honing those clinical dietitian skills before I was even a dietitian, which was great. The team really trusted me. So I do the assessments and things, and then they would sign off on it. And it was really cool. After I went through that trajectory, finished the dietetics program, passed my exam in, I think it was July 5th, 2017. And I graduated May, 2017. I accepted a job at the university hospital in Missouri that I was a diet tech at as a PRN dietitian. So I am one of those dietitians that did start in the hospital. Um, It felt like a good, easy transition because I wasn't quite sure where I was going next. So it's like, sweet, I get to continue working and like figuring this out. So I had a ton of awesome experience. I was almost there for a year and I worked on all the floors. I loved the ICU and I loved oncology outpatient because that was where I felt really important. And I always wanted to feel important and relevant. And like, I was actually helping someone and actually doing good work versus interrupting somebody to try to give them a heart healthy diet when it's not that simple. And, you know, people are in the hospital. The last thing they want to talk about is nutrition. So that's no shade to clinical dietitians. That is what we're trained to do in our job. Um, I just like to make different impacts on people. There did come a point where I was getting a little bit bored. And so I'd rush through my clinical work, even though when I was covering oncology, I loved it. I really enjoyed the connections I made with patients. You know, I had this one patient who actually ended up passing away and I went to his funeral and like, you just get so invested in people, but I would rush through my clinical work, getting all my stuff done, billing my appropriate hours. And then I'd sit at the office for an extra hour and start working on my blog At the time, my blog was called Healthy Hanny, (laughs) which is funny because my sister is the only one at that time that called me Hanny. That was always her nickname for me. And so I I think I just liked the alliteration, Healthy Hanny. And that was my Instagram handle at the time too. And so I started writing about intuitive eating and I wasn't sure where I was going with the blog. I was pretty consistent with it for a while and I got a lot of really positive feedback. And then all of a sudden I was just, after I got my dietitian license, I was like, oh, what if I just like take a couple clients on the side and see what that's like? And so I don't even remember how I got my first client. Somehow they found me. And I worked with a couple people for the first time with nutrition counseling one-on-one in October of 2017. So was still at the hospital at that time. I was kind of getting a stirring. And after the holidays, um, I was talking to the person I was dating at the time and I don't know why I literally have never, I had never been to Denver before I decided I was going to move there. I honestly, again, it was a gut check for me of, I want to move away. I want a different experience. All I've known is Missouri and what's a close quote unquote, big city. People will argue Denver's not a big city, but where's a city that's still like reasonably close to Missouri in case anything happens where I can still be far away from my parents, which they, they know how I am. They probably laugh if they heard that. And so 
luckily the person I was dating at the time, so gracious, he was a nurse and he got a job out in Denver as a travel nurse, which if anyone's familiar with travel nursing, you get paid a good amount of money and they also pay for all your expenses like housing. So it was perfect, set me up to be able to start really working on my business. And one of the reasons I wanted to move to Denver too was I knew the eating disorder hub was out here. I love the ideas of the mountains and the sunshine. Like it just all resonated with my personality. And it's funny. So in March of 2018, we decided to take a trip out to Denver to see if I would like it. And at the time it was like a stretch of the only rainy days of the year. And so when I got here, I was like, why do people want to be here? This weather's disgusting. Like, this isn't even that cool. Do I want to move here? And I think at that point I'd already kind of committed. So I was like, fine, I guess we're going, but I'm not excited, which is just hilarious to me now. Cause I literally think Denver is the best place to live ever. And so we ended up making that move in May of 2018. I started really getting into my solo practice. I was like, I'm going to make this work. It was all consuming. I felt really, really caught up with it. And so I am not one who can't work. Like even though quote unquote, our expenses were paid, I didn't want to dip into my savings. I'm always, like I told you guys, I've always been someone working many jobs. So I decided to put feelers out there and see if there was anybody hiring in the eating disorder community, as far as treatment centers. And I did get offered a job at one out here for a PRN position that was not fair pay in my opinion. And so I ended up passing on that job because in my head, I was like, well, if I'm building my caseload and then I'm having to work all these hours at a treatment center, I'm going to burn out on the work. And so what I did instead was I was like, okay, I know I can make good money through tips. What kind of situation do I want to work for? And I think Google ads, the first thing that they showed me was an ice cream shop. And I was like, huh? So, and they were hiring an assistant manager. And so I inquired, they called me back right away. They thought it was awesome. I was a dietitian and could help with things like when somebody has an allergy or can't have a certain blue dye this, then I could help kind of assist in the options that they had. And so I was hired very quickly. They paid me like $15 an hour plus tips. And it was a mom and pop ice cream shop. It's called Bonnie Bray Ice Cream. If you're in Denver, you should definitely check them out. They've been in business for like 35 years. Very iconic owned by two older couples and their manager, Carrie, I'm not sure if she's still there anymore, but she was also an amazing example of leadership and managing. And so I loved working with her. I loved the grind of the ice cream shop. Like we would get lines half a mile down the block and just working the line, getting people through making tips. Like I love being in it and in the, in the fun. And so what was cool about working at the ice cream shop was one free ice cream and two, It was a lot of mindless work of, you know, picking up giant buckets of ice cream to switch them out and scooping ice cream on a cone, which I make an excellent cone in case you were wondering. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was so fun and it was a great way to supplement my income while I was growing my private practice because with tips and with grinding, I ended up making 30, $35 an hour. So I gave myself a pay increase by working for those tips. It was kind of funny though, because I was managing a bunch of high schoolers and a lot of the time I got mistaken for a high schooler. So I had like these old dads come in and be like, Oh, what are you going to study when you go to college? And I was like, Oh, I mean, I already went to college. And so I I didn't know how to respond. And it was also kind of assumptive, you know, because not everybody goes to college, but that's beside the point. So As I was busting my ass, saving up money, I got my first office space in July of 2018 at Elevate Counseling and Community Center. They are honestly the best people that I could have ever imagined having a first office space with. Shout out to Michelle, Asher, and Julia. I love you guys so much. I'm going to tell you to listen to the pod so you can hear my shout out. But they were such an incredible team to start my practice with. So they're all therapists. Um, Julia and I shared an office space for the first year, you know, you kind of take those baby steps of, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get enough clients for more than two days in the office? I better just take two days. And then you're like, Oh shit, I have a wait list. And what do I do now? So after a year of doing that, I ended up taking over our office. Julia moved into the office next door and we were all still in the same suite for another year. So that was really awesome. And during that time, I actually 
it was growing, we were busy. And I ended up going through a messy breakup. And that was so tough to run your business, know that it's growing, be going through some personal stuff. And there was a point in time where I was actually paying two rents and my parents had to help me out. Like I didn't have the money to pay for two rents in a big city. And so after all of that, after grinding, after figuring it out in January, 2019, I made the solo practice leap. And so during all that time, I was still working at the ice cream shop part-time, even when I had a full caseload, because I still was having a hard time making the leap. So 2019, January, finally made the leap, let the ice cream shop go. They knew I was going to be short-lived. I kind of was honest and open with them from the beginning. And so it was very good, goodbyes. And so after I jumped into solo practice and I had more time because I wasn't grinding at night at the ice cream shop, I was kind of dabbling and doing some talks and intuitive eating workshops. So one of the therapists from Elevate, which is where my first office was, and I did an intuitive eating workshop with a yoga studio. And that was really fun. That was kind of like one hit wonder. We never did that again, but um, it was a really good experience. And I also, at that time, were just doing different talks on eating disorders, intuitive eating and health at every size in the community where I could. It then became kind of middle of 2019. And I was starting to get an itch of, should I hire somebody? I'm a little bored again, not bored with the client work. I love my clients. And a lot of those clients that I was working with at the time still work with me today. And if they're listening, they know I love them and our relationship and the work we get to do together. So, but I did, I'm just someone who wants different parts of my brain working at all times and to have to be busy. And so I was like, okay, how do I hire somebody? And I just kind of fucking jumped in. (laughs) So I hired my first employee of August, 2019, totally flying by the seat of my pants. It was a great and hard first experience. I always think back to that employee and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. You were the first one because I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, and I, I tell this to all my group practice coaching business clients, like your first employee it's going to be a little bit of a shitstorm because you're figuring things out. And the more you can communicate and let them know that and then be in the growth with you, that's the best case scenario. I also, at that time, noticed I needed more support. So I started doing some business coaching with Jennifer McGurk, who is an awesome business coach and has um, private practice support offerings in our space. So we'll link her in the show notes, but I started doing some business coaching with her. It was like a combination of coaching and supervision, and it was so helpful And then I was like, oh, okay. I hired my first employee time to add another. So hired my next employee in January of 2020. I had no idea the pandemic was coming. And so there was three of us trying to share one office space, which wasn't working. So we ended up getting another half day in Elevate Counseling and Community. And so the pandemic hit and was forced to work from home. We really um, saw some people needed some support, especially students. And so Mackenzie Caldwell of Feed Your Zest and I came together and we created Nourish Your Knowledge in March of 2020. It was a really awesome experience. We had groups of dietetic students and new dietitians we'd come together with, talk about the basics of intuitive eating, haze, and how it applies in different um situations in the dietetic space. And so we had a course and then we had support groups and that was a really fun project we did. So in that time too, I kept hiring. So my next hires were July, 2020, October, 2020, March, 2021, June, 2021, September, 2021, and November, 2021. So I always tell people I pretty much hire quarterly ish. I think we're going to slow that down a bit this year, but We were just moving through the pandemic. We had a ton of people reaching out, needing support. Um, I really wanted to keep growing my practice. I love having a team. It's incredible. And so in that time as well, three of the employees were actually apprentices with me before they joined the practice. Because as you know, not only is private practice a whole thing in itself, but doing specific intuitive eating, eating disorder counseling work is a whole nother layer. And so I kind of required for newer dietitians to have a three month apprenticeship period to make sure it's a good fit. It was a paid opportunity. They saw clients for low cost. It was really awesome. And then they all wanted to join the practice. So we moved forward with that. And so since all of that up to date, our first employee has left. She wanted to start her own practice It was hard and good, and we're both where we want to be. And so that's really awesome. And now we have a team of eight dietitians, including me. 
we're coasting for a bit up to this point. So this recording is in December of 2021, but we do plan to continue expanding a bit more and are hiring in March. And we do already have a dietitian in mind for that. So I think one of the coolest things about hiring people is over half of the team either reached out and was just like, Hey, I want to work for you. Let me know when there's an opportunity. And I was like, sweet. And then the other half, like either a job closed or they saw the posting and it was old or they heard about it. And they're like, no, no, wait, did I miss it? Here's my resume. Put, like put my name in the hat. And I'm kind of having a full circle moment now of why that was so important to me. And so awesome to me, because like I mentioned earlier in my business story, that's how I've always been. If there's an opportunity that I want, even if I'm late, I'll throw my name in the hat. And I felt that same passion and grit from these dietitians. And I was like, fuck yeah, I will figure out how to hire you. Let's do it. In the midst of all of that, going back to 2020 a bit, I actually started doing business coaching. You know, it kind of started off the same way that Nourish Your Knowledge did. I saw an opportunity where people needed support and I love people. It's one of my my biggest values and passion is just connection and learning about people and knowing their stories and being there for them. And so just like with the students, I wanted to be there for dietitians who also wanted to run group practices because I know how lonely it is. I know how challenging it can be. I know the ups and downs of it. It's either the high highs or the low lows, especially in the first couple of years. And I knew I had something valuable to offer to people who wanted to grow. And so I just on a whim kind of started doing business coaching, group practice coaching for dietitians. And also in that time, Anyone who knows me knows I'm super passionate about access to care and taking insurance. And so since I figured out my systems, all of that stuff, I was able to consult with other dietitians and help them start their insurance practices and get credentialed and all that good stuff. So I currently still offer both of those things. And 2020 was really the year of starting a whole host of stuff up to this point. um, Well, I guess I left out one thing, July, 2021 this year, I actually started my master's program. So I was seeing as I'm helping these dietitians start their group practices. And as I'm continuing to building mine out and promoting people to leadership, I really needed more support and knowledge and experience with leadership. And so I applied for the master's in organizational leadership program at CU Boulder. It was on a whim. A friend told me about it. Who's also doing it. And it sounded incredible and perfect. And I was like, holy shit, I want to do that. And I'm very much, if I want to do something, I'm going to make it happen, AKA this podcast. And so I applied to the program. I wrote an essay. I got all my shit together and I was like, oh yeah, school. And I got in. And so that started in July, 2021. And that was a major wake up call to me of like, oh shit, I forgot what it feels like to be a student and how much work it is and how many readings there are. So over the last several months, I've really just been working on delegating within my team, work-life balance, trying to also get my master's stuff in there and recalibrating a bit. So that is my story up to date. That's incredible. Incredible. You are such a badass. The fact that you grew your team that quickly and like got to where you are is just amazing. Thank Honestly, you so it's kind of crazy. <laughs> You're literally like listing off dates and I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) I know I have such an issue with, (laughs) it goes back to, so a big part of having ADHD is you feel like you're constantly underperforming and you can't take credit for like what you've built. So when people are like, literally, holy shit, Hannah, what did you build? And I just, I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just did it. Like, I, I don't understand. I haven't done enough yet. As I was writing this out too, I was like, Oh, wow. Literally since the pandemic, I grew my entire team. Holy shit. And so many other offerings. It's insane. It's insane. Well, before we dive in, I have a few follow-up questions before we dive into that. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. I just know that there's so many people who may have a story similar to yours or want where you're at today. So getting to get a peek into everything that went into getting to where you are will be so valuable for people. So thank you for sharing it. Thanks for holding the space. I, you know, this is a very outlined, no, I don't want to say rundown version of the story. Cause there was a lot of hard shit that happened in all of these things. Um, and so I don't want it to seem like it was very like, these are the steps I took and it was easy. Cause there were some low lows in there. Like I know there was times where I was depressed and thank God for therapy and medication and being able to navigate that. But 
it's all really good of what was built and what I went through. And there were a lot of hard parts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, we talked about it last week too, similar thing. You, whenever you talk about your story, you tend to just pull out the highlights because it's usually the good things and the opportunities that propel you and move you forward. And there definitely is a lot of hard moments in all of that too. So yes, definitely want to recognize that for, for both of our stories. So my first question that I have is you're clearly a multi-passionate entrepreneur and have been for a very long time. How have you found best to manage all of your schedules? (laughs) I hate that you're asking me this because I'm still figuring it out. You know, one of the most helpful things for me, and honestly, (laughs) the last four years have been a little bit of a shit storm flying by the seat of my pants. And so it's really been in the last year of Hannah, this is not going to be sustainable for you if you don't get organized and make systems. And so it's really been like now when I hire employees and it took me about getting six employees in, I wrote out all the steps that I do. I have all the documentation and all the things I need them to fill out and the things I need to train them on. Like I have a system for that. And again, it took me six employees. I was just in such the grind of like, I will just do this again every time. And it's just extra work that doesn't need to be done. So Simplifying things, making systems, that's one of the best things you can do for organization. The other things that I like, project management systems, I really have to break things down into small tasks to get the momentum and get going. That's been helpful for me. And then also just setting boundaries and limits for myself. And that's going to be actually one of my 2022 goals is I'm going to try to work six hours a day. And that's very intentional, focused work versus I'm working a 10 hour day, but I've been scrolling through Instagram and checking my email repetitively, looking for something exciting to come through, you know, and because I'm learning my limits and, you know, I need to sustain myself so I can continue growing and leading the team and being there for them and offering to our space, everything that I can, because there's a lot of knowledge gap, AKA why we're here talking about business. So I really think it's a matter just to recap of systems using tools and knowing your boundaries and what is actually realistic. It sounds like all of that was more recent discoveries. I'm curious what like teenage college Hannah, how she managed to continue to be multi-passionate. You know, it's funny because I remember sitting down with actually one of my professors sat me down and literally was like, Hannah, you are spreading yourself too thin. You are dropping the ball. Something needs to shift. And I always get in that place, which I don't recommend, but I just remember that so vividly. And that just captures of like how I functioned in my life, which is not awesome. So, and I think, and this is fucked up and not uncommon. A lot of my disordered eating and things like that, that made me rigid, helped me manage that stuff. And I offer that not to be like, do this so that you can be organized, but just to really name the complexity of how disordered relationships with food and body really impact and in a malfunctioning way help. I, I don't really have a good answer of like, I did these things when I was a teen in college, I just kind of flailed through it. And I didn't love that. And I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the hard part of it. My next question is, I feel like throughout your story, you talked about kind of all of the different, as I like to say, cookie jars you had your hand in. Whenever you were working as a PRN dietitian, were you doing other things on the side or was it focused on being a dietitian? Yeah. So I actually wasn't PRN for very long. It went from PRN to full-time, which I forgot to mention that nugget. Um, I think they just had to get the position approved and that's where I kind of became the all over dietitian. So worked on every floor and just covered for whoever was out. And so when I was PRN, I think I was again, starting to scheme, moving out to Denver and thinking that through and just enjoying not being in school and having that break. And now you make me want to go back in time and think about what I was doing while I was PR friend. Um, Oh, I think I traveled for a little bit. I went to England, see my family and go to London. But outside of that, I think my PRN job was at least 20 ish hours a week anyway. So 
it wasn't quite full-time, but it, it kept me busy. And then I ended up getting my dog Bennett in that time while I was PRN. Um, I always wanted my own dog. He's my first pet. Love him so much. If you're on the YouTube, you can see him in the background on my couch, <laughs> but yeah. So I think I probably kept myself busy somehow. Actually, I just remembered I was doing a small job for um, a community project. I can't remember the company, but I was doing some data stuff for them, some spreadsheet stuff. So that was also keeping me busy and helping me pay the bills. Can't believe I forgot about that. So much time has passed. It's amazing whenever you start going through your story, you're like, oh, I forgot about that and that. And that was kind of a pivotal moment. Can you walk us through your journey to discovering intuitive eating? Oh my gosh. I feel like we have to record a whole another podcast on that. So I will give you the short. When it fits in your business timeline. Yeah. Short, short little snippet. Okay. When it fits in my business timeline, I will say when I was a teen, definitely like disordered eating, probably an eating disorder, very messed up relationship with food, severe restriction. When I went to college, it started getting quote unquote better because I was more in alignment with diet culture of like, got to eat healthy and got to eat regularly and blah, blah, blah. And some of that was actually really saving to me. And so when I side note, when I have clients come to me and they're in diet culture and like, I see the complexity there of how they got there. I'm like, yep, totally. This is part of your journey. You need to be here. So when I was starting to switch to be a dietitian, that was when I was kind of moving from more severe eating disorder stuff to disordered eating slash diet culture. And that was my switch to being a dietitian. And then as I was going through schooling, you know, I read intuitive eating at the, before I even started the, in the dietetic program, I don't remember how I got hold of the book. I read it and I, I fucking threw it. I was like, that was dumb. Like I, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, and it just goes to show if you're not ready to hear it doesn't matter. And that's what I tell people a lot, you know, part of eating disorder recovery journeys and healing your relationship with food is people want to be advocates and they want to like show it to their mom and be like, fucking read this book. And it's like, if someone's not ready to hear it, you're going to feel shut down by that. We had one lecture in the dietetics program, classic, on eating disorders. And I fucking remember I it was some professor or somebody being like, well, eating disorders aren't as common as like the O word or diabetes. So there only needs to be one lecture. And I'm like, that's appalling. So we had one um, gal come in and give us a presentation on eating disorders. And at that time, still disordered, diety, bodybuildery. And she told, she told us she would take clients out and go eat cheeseburgers and fries with them. And I almost fucking like fell out of my chair. I was like, you, a dietitian eats cheeseburgers. What? And I think that was really a catalyst for, I want to eat cheeseburgers. And I, as we got deeper into the dietetic stuff and I started doing my own research of what else is out there, I came across Christy Harrison's podcast, which I know many of us do, um, the podcast called food psych. And it blew my fucking mind. And I heard her mention intuitive eating. So I went back and read the book and I was just a total sponge at that time. I was doing what I needed to, to learn in the dietetics program, but I spent all my time outside of that reading and learning and like getting to know the community and seeing who else out there. And that was really when I started to have a little bit of an existential crisis of like, I don't want to be a dietitian. I don't want to do this to people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to like make them change their bodies. This is so fucked up. Luckily didn't have to do any of that because intuitive eating health at every size and eating disorder work. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I feel like, yeah, cause I feel like it went from like, and I feel like this is a, a common thing for most people where it's like go into undergrad, super diet focused. And then there's always that one pivotal moment where you like hear about it. And then it's like, Oh, this is how I'm going to practice the rest of my life. So thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I have one more question for you. And then I have some rapid fire questions for you that you have no idea what they are. What job out of all of the jobs you've had, do you feel like has made the biggest impact in your role as entrepreneur and why? Ooh, I love that question. I honestly, I I'm going to go back to office max because that was such a good experience for me to have as a high schooler 
And I worked there so much, like on this, in the summers I would work full time. And again, just having that model of my boss being such a hard worker, like she would get, so if you never worked retail, basically you have, um, the truck come once or twice a week to deliver product. And so we'd have to unload the truck, like lift all these heavy boxes. Like we were lifting like chairs and desks and things and organizing it. My boss was fucking in it with us, unloading the truck, putting things away. It was never, I'm your boss. And I tell you what to do. She's like, I'm the boss and I'm here with you. Let's get the shit done. And I think that was the best example of being a leader and doing things differently. And so that doesn't exactly translate to entrepreneurship, but I knew I wanted to be doing something bigger in a a greater capacity, helping people with me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I can totally see the parallel of getting to experience that into now you being a leader of a group practice. Well, I have 10 questions for you. Rapid fire. I'm ready. Lay them on me. If you could have lunch with anyone in the world, who would it be? I'm going to say Brene Brown. I know that's cliche, but I need to have a conversation with her and we need to be eating cheeseburgers and fries together and normalizing it and also having amazing conversation. A close runner up will be Simon Sinek. Would love to have lunch with him too. Maybe Brene, Simon and I can meet up for lunch in Texas or something. Simon will have to fly out. But (laughs) If you weren't a dietitian, what would you be doing today? Oh, I love this question. Okay. I used to say I'd be a therapist, but no. Two things. I would either be an actress because I'm dramatic or I would be in some Fortune 500 company being a leader. I truly believe that. And that is sometimes hard to grapple with of like, oh, because I had this eating disorder, disordered eating experience individually that led me to my path to be a dietitian. And like, what would I have been if I didn't have that experience with food? And so that can be reframed of like, I get to do this because I had this. And then, and that is exactly how I think about it. But when I think about what else I could have done, and maybe, maybe I'll still do these things in the future. I know when COVID's over, I would love to take some improv classes. Sorry, that wasn't a short answer. Actress or Fortune 500 company, being a boss. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Just fucking do it. If your life got turned into a movie, who would you want to play you? Ooh, you know... I'm so terrible with names of actors and actresses. I'm just going to go with Emma Stone. Ooh, I could see that. That'd be good. That'd be good. Are you a morning person or a night person? Morning, for sure. I love to be in bed at 930. What's a food or food combination that you love that most people don't? Oh my God. (laughs) Ketchup on everything. I get so much shit for it. It's a British thing, okay? Leave me alone with my tomato sauce. Um, Literally, I grew up eating pasta with ketchup on it. So anytime I go out to get fries with somebody, literally, I am that bitch squeezing half a bottle of ketchup on my plate and then like scooping the ketchup onto my fry. It's not a nice little dip. It's a whole scoop. I need that 50-50 fry ketchup experience. So that's probably my weirdest thing because I'll put it on like eggs. I'll put it on my sandwiches instead of mayo. Like I'm a freak with ketchup. You're currently reading Brene's new book. What are you reading after? Oh, good question. I have this giant stack of business books that I really want to get through. But honestly, grad school will be starting again January 10th. So I'll probably be reading a school book. What were you doing right before we hit record today? My mortgage broker actually stopped by and brought me some cookies. And we had a really good conversation about how terrible social media is. And I gave her my book called Digital Minimalism. And we were just talking about how much we love books and how it's so such a cozy gift of when someone says, I have a book that you need to read based on our conversation. It's just so intimate and nice. So that was a, a nice little pit stop. And I can't wait to eat my fucking cookies she brought me. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are you about life right now? Oh, um, you know, not to be cliche, but I'm always at a seven and that's just part of being an Enneagram seven. Um, if I'm below a seven, people should be concerned. And so I'm, I'm feeling a seven. I think it's going to keep going up. Um, as the year's wrapping down, I'm feeling like neutral and positive and I'm ready to like hit it hard in the new year. And I'm going to get amped about that. So seven on my way to eight. My last question for you, what is your personal definition of success? I think success is 
doing the things you want to do in the capacity that you want to do them and knowing what that is. Because I think so much of people, especially in our space, want to go into private practice, want to have a group. And I think sometimes, and this is one of the things I start with business coaching clients on is like, why do you want to do this? And letting them know it's challenging and good. Because I think oftentimes we're driven by what we should do versus what we actually want. So the ability to know what you want, that is success to me. The ability to know what you want and to have peace around it. Amazing. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thanks for letting me tell my story. Absolutely. If y'all liked today's episode and liked Hannah's story, go leave us a review, pretty please. And if you have any questions specifically for Hannah about her journey, you're welcome to email us at weightinclusiveinnovators at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.